Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 152 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Jack Zagernis joining us, and Jack is the president and founder of Fortress Real Estate Companies. And Jack's got a lot of insight into the real estate industry from his long career, especially commercial real estate. And he talks a lot about some of the projects he's worked on, like Giant Eagle's entry into the market, and what he thinks the future holds in store for Columbus as well. I definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this episode, and as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we jump into that interview, though, we got to take a quick moment to thank some of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus, and that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to join like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes, participate in large-scale volunteer efforts, and improve educational opportunities for youth in our community. To get your small business involved or to learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost. And so like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness, greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we've got Jack Zagernis joining us. Jack is the president and founder of Fortress Real Estate Companies, and he has over 23 years of experience in the real estate industry as vice president of development for Continental Real Estate Companies and vice president of sales at Deeds Commercial prior to founding Fortress. Uh, he was responsible for the site selection and development activities for Giant Eagles entered the Central Ohio market as well as the streets of Indian Lake, a successful lifestyle shopping center in Hendersonville, Tennessee. In all, Jack has procured over 50, or $550 million in development projects and brokered over $400 million while at Fortress Continental and Deeds. And he also happens to be an Ohio State alumni, 
We're really excited to have him on the show today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Jack. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Typically, one of the places we like to start is just really take it back, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about anything important in your life leading up from childhood all the way to your earlier roles in real estate, experiences at Ohio State. Whatever you feel is important to bring up, feel free to take it away. Great. Well, thanks again for having me. And, uh, you know, I, I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio, a few miles from Ohio State University. My father and his four brothers all went to Ohio State University from Youngstown, Ohio. My father went to undergraduate school and then medical school and then became the dean of the medical school and vice president of the university. So he was affiliated for over 50 years. So needless to say, we uh, were true and true Buckeyes from an early age. I remember tearing up the confetti for the football games on Friday night when I was five years old, just not being able to sleep, getting ready for the game. So anyway, um, started, uh, started at a young age being a Buckeye fan and uh, ended up going to Ohio State. Was decided between that and a few other small schools and decided on Ohio State to play lacrosse. Got my degree in business there and one of the most interesting classes uh, for me at the time was the real estate end of things. So as soon as I got out of college I started and got licensed as a real estate broker, learned the financial business side of things um, Got a little base and, and then decided to uh, start my own business. A high school friend of mine uh, started Backyard Burgers. It was a franchise out of Memphis, Tennessee. We opened four restaurants here in Columbus. And after about seven years of doing that, somebody approached us to purchase our operations and we decided it was a good time to sell. And again, that real estate side was the most interesting aspect of that, that business, doing the real estate side of that fast food business. And uh, so I decided to explore my next uh, leg uh, in the real estate side. A, a good friend of the family's introduced me to Frank Cass, who is the president of Continental Real Estate Companies. And he's a very interesting, dynamic person, as you guys might know. And, um, and we hit it off and he offered me a job. And so for about 14 years, I was with Continental Real Estate on the brokerage and development end of things. So when you got that first job out of college and you were a brokerage, you mentioned that that was kind of uh, the foundation that laid a lot of the moves that you decided to do, both in the backyard burger business and then when you moved on to Continental. What are some of the fundamental things that you learned about the industry throughout that time? Were you just watching the way that money flows across you know, these different, um, I guess, stakeholders within the, within the industry, or how did that work? Well, let me clarify. So when I started out of college, I started as a stockbroker not a real estate broker. So, okay. but it gave me that financial base to understand, you know, financials and, and different financing methods and, and just being involved in, in the investment side of things, you know, the money side of things. And, uh, and then that led to running my own business, which encompassed all types of, of aspects, uh, you know, the real estate side, the payroll side, the management side, you know, all, all the different uh, aspects of that and, and again during college and those early career moves the real estate side was what really interested me. So was your degree in finance as well? or Nope in marketing, marketing. Um, and that's why I think that stock brokerage base gave me a little bit more background and, and rounded it off a little bit on the financial end of things too. 
So I guess what I'm curious about is what drew you towards real estate, right? You're looking at stock brokerage, you're looking at a lot of different financial aspects of a business, mm -hmm. but out of everything that you saw, everything you worked on, real estate drew you why? Well, it's an interesting question, and, and I guess if, if I had to go to the root, our family had a little real estate business with, you know, my dad, and there's probably 30 folks that are, you know, other doctors and lawyers that, that all, it, it, it's not a big significant real estate company, but it was named after my grandfather. It's called Adams Real Estate Company, and, and it's been around for probably 40 years now. And they invested in farmlands and little small pieces of real estate. And, and, you know, my father and uncles would take me to go look at the real estate. And it always kind of interested me. And then the classes I took at Ohio State, you know, those real estate classes were my favorite ones um, of, of the business classes, and they were elective at the time. And then uh, again, at Backyard Burgers, just the real estate side of that business, you know, negotiating the, the leases and the purchase terms and getting the building constructed and, you know, that aspect of it was, was always the most interesting. So that experience was a little while back, but as you reflect on it and you remember, you know, your, you said it was a high school friend, correct? That's correct. When he approached you regarding this idea, and then you, you look at the idea of branching off locations into Columbus, you know, where do you even start with that? Do you just say, let me, let me analyze the business right now and see if the finances make sense? I mean, knowing the numbers is probably a very helpful place to understand that. But. It is, and it's a good question that you ask, and it, it, it's, it's interesting because it kind of, I know we're going to talk shortly about the Giant Eagles entree into the market here, and it's, it's similar exercise from what I was doing during the restaurant time. So we were giving, you know, as part of Backyard Burgers, there's, you know, it was the high-end burger joint, and this is, you know, 25 years ago. And so before all the burgers, you know, that are out now uh, came about. But, you know, we wanted kind of the higher-end demographics because it wasn't the cheapest, at, you know, in, in the market at the time, but it was all prepared fresh, hand-dipped milkshakes, fresh-squeezed lemonade. We ground and patted the the burgers every morning, they were charbroiled, they were a third of a pound. So it was, it was a different cut, something you couldn't get in the fast food market at the time. So having said that, we had to find out where the demographics were, certain traffic levels, and then it all had to fit within a budget. So what rent could you pay? You know, what were the real estate taxes? What were the additional expenses? So you'd find out what your occupancy costs are. And there was a kind of an average in the, in the, industry at the time that you want to stay within to be a, you know, to have a profitable business. Flash forward to Giant Eagle's entree into the market. We had their competition that they had to look at. We had demographics, traffic counts, um, you know, drive times within a certain radius. So once we collected all that information, my task was to go and find, they wanted to enter the market with six stores. So we started with 25 sites and we met with their whole management team and said, here are the 25 sites, here are the ones we feel are the best ones to enter the market, give you enough separation where you can fill in as you grow into the market. And we narrowed it down to their first six stores and then we acquired the properties, signed leases with them and then built the stores and owned them. And most of them had out parcels or additional retail in conjunction with the the anchor store so from a high level it's it's does the city have the money if so where is the money at and how is it flowing again except 
it's more traffic patterns, you know, where's the population, where are people actually, where are the eyes at and the feet at, and then determining the, the harder aspect for me sounds like with Giant Eagle, you had competition where it is backyard burgers. Really, you, you nobody was competing directly in a sense because you had a unique product and a unique, unique approach. Yeah, that's, so when, a, that's accurate. When it comes to Giant Eagle and you start analyzing those different competitive aspects, is that something that you were specializing into or did, was, was it part of your team that was looking at that? No, what I specialized in at the time was site selection. So for Continental, what I tried to do, and, and again, this is from you know, 96 through 2010 when the development was very robust, 2008, I should say. <laughs> and predominantly, Continental was a retail developer. Uh, you can see how that's changed today with the, the asset classes that they're developing. But we were a very large national retail developer. So my primary task was to go out and find retail real estate development opportunities whether it be for giant eagle we did three meyer stores we did you know several lowe's and home depot stores so that was my job to figure out either where they needed to be or i would find a strategic piece of property that was in a good area and then go find the end user so i was either working for the end user in the case of of the giant eagle or i was finding strategic well-located sites and then bring in the retailer after that point so i hope that answers your question yeah no, <laughs> no it's it's an interesting concept and i think like i guess i'm curious about how you actually go about gathering that data right so when you're looking mm -hmm. at demographical data are you using a census are you using whole like are there certain surveys you're doing mm -hmm. how, how are you kind of gathering this data and how has that, the way that you gather that data changed over time? Like I'm, I'm guessing today that there's a lot more data at our fingertips. How do you find something that some, maybe somebody missed today versus that? Well, um, we would subscribe to a service that provided us demographics based on zip codes or based on intersections. And then you could go out one, three, five, ten miles. You could get walk times, drive times. You could actually create your own sub-market by streets, and it would give you what those demographics were. And if you haven't seen a demographic report, it'll show you the number of people that live there, the number of households that are in that market, the number of educated people, the number of office um, you know, workers that are in that market, income levels, all, all types of different useful information. So in the case of Giant Eagle, they gave us their set, and that's based on what's worked for them in the past. So they, they were in many markets outside of Columbus at the time, and when they decided to come to Columbus, they had already figured out what the secret sauce was, so what kind of demographic profile they want, what kind of traffic studies, what kind of you know, attractors within the area, you know, whether it be movie theaters or whatever the, you know, the, the key ingredients were for them then we used our services to locate those and then narrowed it down to the 25 sites that we presented them originally. I think we've, we've dug into Giant Eagle a lot, maybe more than I intended to, but uh, it's just something I'm really curious about. From Giant Eagle, right? That's why you were at Continental. After that project, where do you go from Continental? Well, again, during that time period, I was still doing many other projects, right. you know, retail projects. So. When I first started out, I was 
trying to find any and every real estate deal that's possible, as most brokers in the industry do. My first deal was a thousand square foot check casher deal on Main Street. I didn't even see the real estate. I found it in one of the books and the guy was looking for a thousand feet. I gave him the address and he said, that's what I want. Let's, let's write up a proposal. So it went from that to somebody called me that had air. I cold called somebody that had a piece of property that they were going to sell and they were going to have $2 million and there's something called a 1031 tax-free exchange. And what that is, is if you deploy that money within a certain period of time, you defer your taxes. So it, it's very attractive for brokers because it's a finite time that they have to close on it. And if they don't end up closing on something, then they have to pay the real, you know, they have to pay the income taxes based on what that sales price was. So that, the reason why I mentioned it is that deal, you know, I got very lucky that it happened and it ended up being a good commission that let me go out and hunt for the bigger <laughs> elephants. Mm -hmm. So from there, I found a, a big piece, a 90 acre piece of property in Westerville. We did a Meyer store, 220 apartments, all the out parcels and some additional retail. And I was able to be a partner in that but I sold all the out parcels. I was involved in the apartment. So it kind of led into to one thing. But, but those are the things that I was doing while I was doing the Giant Eagle you know, developments as well. And as you're doing these different projects and these, these different acquisitions and sales, are you working at all with like Columbus 2020 or like, you know, as Giant Eagle is looking to enter this market, is there any affiliation with that team that goes on? Well, at the time, you know, I was part of a big engine at Continental with accounting department, several in-house attorneys. So I didn't get too involved in that side. You know, some of the principals and myself would get involved in the zoning side because we knew what we were going to be able to deliver. We knew what, you know, you have to understand the development to know what you can commit to, to the, to the councils and things like that. But most of the 2020 stuff and the TIF, the abatements, the incentive packages were mostly done you know, within the engine, and it wasn't my scope of work. Today, that's a lot different, but but at the time, it, it was not. So. So we fast forward into today. I mean, why did you? You talked a little bit about it earlier, but in more detail, like why did you decide to branch out and create your own company? And, and when that process started, you know, what is, what did the details look like of getting that off the ground? Okay. Well, at Continental, we were what you might call a merchant developer. So we would build a shopping center and we would sell it as opposed to holding on to it long-term. When 2008 hit, for about a year and a half, we were wondering where the market was gonna go. And development came to a complete stop. I mean, you were either finishing up what you had in the pipeline, but there was nothing new coming online. No, none of the end users had any idea what was gonna happen. So I did that for about a year, year and a half, and decided I can't wait any longer to see if the development's going to come back. And I said, you know, I want to stay in the real estate side of things. And there were people that not only wanted to, but had to sell their properties at the time. There were other people that had been well positioned for that downturn that had a lot of cash, didn't have a lot of extension on their finances. So I said, that's where I foresee some transactions happening. Not only that, but I knew eventually I wanted to get back into the development side 
and I wanted to learn that side of the business. It's called investment sales, but you're buying and selling the income that's created through real estate. So what I decided to do is I joined the company that would sell all of our projects at Continental, and that was Dietz Real Estate. So I learned that end of the business for about three years. Development started heating up a little bit, and again, and I had always wanted to have my own real estate company, and so I decided that's when I would start Fortress Real Estate. All right, Conquerors, we're going to take a quick break here in the show to tell you about a group called Columbus Gives Back. If you're looking for a way to get involved in your community, but you don't know where and how to start, look no further than Columbus Gives Back. By partnering with over 150 Central Ohio nonprofits, Columbus Gives Back makes volunteering fun and easy by offering 30 to 40 volunteer events each month that are free of cost, commitment, and hassle. Sign up for your first event today at columbusgivesback.org. That's columbusgivesback.org. All right, let's get back into the episode. So you kind of took the long-term plan and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make another pivot to round out my skill set and get more experience in this area and then make the jump after that. Exactly. I knew my passion was in development, but at the time, there was no development. Right. And, and from point A to point B, right, that's some place that we feel like sometimes gets skipped over, mm-hmm. especially in entrepreneurial stories. So when did you realize, like, when did you decide, hey, I'm going to start Fortress? And what were the steps from that point to... Point B, which is actually finding the company and launching on your own thing. Oh, wait, is that right after Dietz? Uh, it was, yes, it was right after Dietz. So we had just completed several fairly large transactions at Dietz Commercial. Um, we sold the Miranova office tower, mm-hmm. um, sold a big uh, distribution center in New Hampshire. So there were several big deals that gave me a little working capital to, to start my own business. And again, it, in 2013, you could see the signs that things were starting to heal from the 08 recession. Mm-hmm. And so I thought the timing was good. And, and I had a couple of ideas on some properties that I had been eyeballing before the recession hit and decided to go and pursue those and pick those back up. Okay. So I guess then in with the real estate side of things, right, do you just say, hey, this is my two weeks, and then go take off on your own? Is that kind of the process for setting up fortress little or? bit little bit more complicated right. so I, I i i started fortress as a brokerage company it's fortress real estate company so development brokerage you know whatever aspect of real estate you know we were going to get into but i had to get my broker's license mm-hmm. so you know i'd given the owner of deets commercial plenty of notice and said i'm here you know to finish up these deals but i'm transitioning into my own thing and he was he was fine he completely understood and was actually hoping i might be able to provide more product for him to sell so (laughs) um so it was a a a friendly break and uh you know one of the one of the pieces i had had my eye on for some time before the recession hit was um about 10 acres on dublin road overlooking the quarry that I thought would make a great apartment site. And in August, we're gonna be opening 270 apartments on that site. There were a couple others that I've been working on for, for you know, that, that one took four years to get the entitlements in place, so. Any challenges in those early days that stick out in particular that were really, you know, sometimes, did you look back and say like, I don't know if this is going to work or, or was it just one step at a time and the whole time along the way you knew that 
it would be successful in the long run? No, there were a lot of, after 2008, I think if you ask anyone in the real estate business, everyone was trying to, you know, right. make sure that, that, you know, they figured out the right path to stay alive. So it was, it was a difficult time and more so because of the uncertainty of the future. So, you know, I mean, we went from robust development in 2006 to two years later having nothing. I mean, there was zero development, not only a little bit, none. So when you commit as much time to that area of real estate and you haven't done the aspect, other aspects like management or brokerage or things like that, you don't have a pipeline and those deals take a lot of time. And a lot of those deals weren't happening and they weren't happening fast at the time either. So there's a, there was a lot of uncertainty, you know, how am I going to make a living over the next couple of years? But I, I hope that answers. I hope that was a long line. Yeah, it does. It sounds like it was just, I mean, probably scary the whole way is what it, it kind was, of sounds like. It was extremely scary. And then I had the fortune of, of having a few deals hit at Deets, but then the same fear component being uncomfortable, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, starting out, you know, fortress again, not knowing where your income's going to come from or, or anything. So. And your career kind of, it covers the whole gamut, which I think is pretty interesting. Like, I mean, you've done the brokerage, you've done the development, you've done, did you ever do anything within the management side? Not on the management side. That's always been, we've always hired third party on that. Um, which is interesting because I think a lot of people, you know, one of the things that I find is so interesting about this, about this industry is people are successful in it. They kind of got a backdoor from somebody else who was there for a while or yeah. They spent years in it to learn it. I mean, it's, it almost seems like so much more mysterious and complicated than I would ever think it needs to be. Right. But it, it is a very, like, it's, it's a very unique industry that's hard to kind of break into. And you were able to round out your skills and kind of um, dive into it, you know, four floors. Now, looking forward and moving ahead over the next three to five years, you know, what are your goals for the company um, into the future? Well, so let me tell you a little bit about real uh, Fortress Real Estate Company. So I'm a one-man shop, but... What I decided after Deets Commercial is I wanted to step back when I was at Continental. If I would bring an opportunity to Continental, they would allow me to be a partner in the deal. You know, it was a small partner, and I would work that deal and try and create as much value as I could for the big company. And, you know, they were happy with the value I created, and I got a, a little piece of the pie to be part of that. So... When I left East to start Fortress, I wasn't interested, particularly at the time, of creating a big engine with a lot of overhead, not knowing what the future was going to hold. So I decided to find the pieces of property that I thought, the opportunities that I thought would make sense, and get them as teed up as I possibly could, and then bring in a strategic partner that would be an expert in whatever I was doing. So for instance, if I was going to find a retail opportunity, which in 2013, there were very few, I would obviously take it to Continental um, with the relationship I have with the, the, the company there. So one of the, one of the ones I had mentioned before was the Dublin Road Apartments. And that had sewer that was 3,000 feet away. Very expensive to bring. And it was all through rock. It was zone manufacturing. You know, it needed water extended to the site. So I, you know, at, at my direction, 
had all those entitlements put in place, got it zoned properly, got the a TIF agreement through the city to get the sewer extended up to the site, you know, acquired, you know, got a contract to acquire the property. And then when I had everything ready to go, I brought in Hallmark Communities and we joint ventured that project together. And they bring, you know, the construction expertise and the management, you know, third party management um, relationships and those types of things to, to execute the project. So it seems like the industry is a lot of just orchestrating relationships and all these different stakeholders that go into these massive projects. I mean, from acquiring land to getting the permits to getting the construction crew, it just seems so much relationship-based. It, it really is. And in every aspect of it, too. When you're talking with somebody about buying a piece of property, if you have an, a relationship that can bridge that gap to build that trust with those people... You know, from that aspect to the relationships with the different players within the city, just that they can trust that you're going to say, you know, do what you say. But a lot of it is building those relationships and and then preserving them, you know, by performing and living up to your word. So, right. So, do you, considering you bring in a lot of partners on these deals and things like that, do you ever see Fortress growing from to more than just a one man shop? You know, I don't right now, and I'll, I'll give you a good example. So Battelle is my most recent project, and it's 20 acres between 5th Avenue and 3rd along the Olentangy River, and it was a parking lot that Battelle had. So I had my first meeting in March of 2014. <laughs> That's how long these incubate before they <laughs> come to fruition sometimes, and sometimes they never happen. So during that four years, you know, I was courting the real estate folks at Battelle to sell in the first place. And after two years, they decided some of the things I were saying made some sense. And they had some internal decisions that, that made sense for them to sell. But they decided instead of selling it just to me, they were going to go to an RFP, you know, request for proposal. And, you know, it got some national attention. So I had to shift gears and say, I need to put the right team together to make this happen. So Wagenbrenner is a very successful developer here in Columbus, very good reputation, and had a, a very good reputation in the Harrison West uh, market. Daimler, another very reputable, successful company here in Columbus, had that office component and experience and construction arm. And then we brought in MI Homes, uh, because they're one of the premier builders here and it was going to have a single family component. And then Continental was very heavy into hotel and we brought them in to do the hotel side. So collectively, we we're a pretty formidable team and lucky enough we were awarded the project and closed on the property in December and we're already under construction now. So, so you're more, you go angle more towards putting teams together for specific projects rather than having one team and all that overhead involved. If you that, brought them into Fortress. That's correct. Okay. So another example we did, we just finished the, the second phase of student housing at Youngstown State University. Okay. I've never done student housing. Mm -hmm. However, I knew that with President Tressel there and the increased enrollment, that it would be beneficial for both sides to have student housing there. The university is like it because 
the kids live on campus. It gives it a sense of community. They're seeing their professors. They're staying at the library. There's a higher retention. There's a lot of reasons why. But universities don't want to spend money necessarily to do that. So it was a good fit. And I had the relationship there. So I, again, I teed that up, got the, the property. We did a ground lease with the state of Ohio and, and the university. And then I brought in a, a student housing developer that had done 10 deals. Again, that was Hallmark Campus Communities. So you mentioned, you know, like a three-year courting relationship and, and the process you have to go through with all the regulations we spoke a little bit about earlier. Mm -hmm. Three years of a process to get something done sounds like a nightmare to me. I just don't know. I don't, I don't know how I would have the patience to go through that entire process and to um, have the patience to sit back and watch everything unfold. So how were you able to manage those relationships and how do you continue to do so to be successful in this area? Well, it's another great question. You know, if you think that would drive you mad, try doing it for four years and having the deal fall apart. That's really where <laughs> you have not only your time invested and a lot of money, but then, you know, there's, there's no deal that happens. But, you know, listen, these things take time if they're going to be done the right way. And if they're easy, then they're usually already developed. So, you know, the things like Battelle, it's a courtship to get them to even consider it. Then once you do, you have to go through the formal process. And we had, a, you know, we had to do a TIF, an abatement. We had to issue bonds. We, I mean, had to get all the partnership agreements to, you know, make everyone happy within the family there. So it's, it's a lot of things. But it's worth it if you can withstand that time and patience and, and get to the final finish line. But it's tough. It's tough. Right. I think I just feel like I'm spinning in the mud a lot of the time, as Josh likes to say. Uh, but when, how do you, so like, I guess tied to that question is, do you have like small benchmarks for each deal? Like do you lay out a roadmap when you look at it or do you take it one step at a time and say, okay, the first thing I need to do is set this meeting. Uh, like when you're structuring or looking at a potential deal, especially early on, do you have that roadmap, that vision of this is the process I'm going to take them through? Do you lay that out early on or is it kind of step-by-step step for you? Yeah. So I'll give you Youngstown's a good example. Um, you know, I, I worked for 10 years with the football team when Tressel was here. So he and I had a good relationship. And when he became president, he knew that they needed housing. I knew that they needed housing. So I suggest to him, let's investigate this. So yes, before you spend $250,000 on developing plans and construction drawings and all that, you do do them in steps. So the first step is to make sure that the university is interested in having this done and negotiate the economic terms, which we did. Then it has to go through layers. It has to go through their staff and then their board of trustees. But then when you're done with that, you have to get the states okay because it's a state school. So that's, that was the first step before you really invest a lot of money in the deal. Now, you have at least a year's worth of time in, invested, and you might have some money invested in renderings to kind of show them what it might look like. You have somebody do a quick site plan to show that it fits on the site. Um, but, but all the heavy lifting is when you know that it's a possibility that it could happen. So it's a great question, and, and they do go in phases. So, you know, the Dublin Road, we had to make sure it was a, it was a former asphalt plant. Had to make sure there was no environmental. So that's the first $5,000 you spend. Otherwise, you might have a half million dollars in 
remediation. And it doesn't matter if you get the zoning and the utilities run and everything else. So that was the first step. Then it's figuring out with the city, how do we get the sewer up here? Well, they don't typically do that for residential projects, but they had already annexed six houses on the west side of Dublin Road. And once they annex them, they really want them to have city sewer. So we cooperated with them and got it done. So each one's a step that, that you have to, to solve first before you really put a big bet on the line. It almost seems like something that you could never dive directly into without going through the path that you did because there's so many stakeholders and for you to be able to properly know who those stakeholders are gonna be along the way, mm-hmm. identify them at a time and then manage them seems uh, almost like it wouldn't, it wouldn't be realistic had right. you not been through it multiple times. Now, what I'm curious in is, is you're, you're outlaying these capital um, expenditures and you're not sure what's going to come about it or if things are going to get turned down. Mm-hmm. Are you taking that risk 100% or are you able to bring in investors on that? And then are you, are you laying out in the beginning, hey, this is what the risk is and it might not get processed and they're on board for that? Yeah, well, again, so when I started Fortress, instead of creating the overhead that a lot of other companies have, that is my overhead is getting that project teed up. So if I can get it teed up and find the right strategic partner, then it all works out great. But without having it to that point where it's a real deal, it has the zoning, it has the utilities, it has the entitlements in place to do it, then you know you would have to give up most of the deal for somebody to even look at it. You know They might not even want you in at all, depending on who that JV partner is. So once you have control, and I mean, through a contract or a lease or whatever, and then you have the entitlements in place, the rest of it's, it's pretty easy. That makes a lot of sense. So I guess kind of pivot and change the pace here a little bit. What do you think the biggest challenges will be here in the next three or five years for both yourself and just commercial real estate market in general? Well, you know, Columbus is doing a fantastic job of attracting employment to the to the and, and residents to to the market here. I'm a little worried about oversupply on the multifamily side. Um, we haven't seen any indications yet, but if the inflow of people were to slow down, there's a pretty heavy supply of product coming onto the market. So for me, I'm not interested in finding a random site to build apartments on. It's got to really have a good story to it and you have to make sure that you underwrite it properly. The rents aren't gonna have the same trajectory they've had in the last five years and the next five years. At least I wouldn't be willing to make that bet. Um, So oversupply could become an issue, um, but interest rates are, are another issue. With all the building that's happened, you've had a lot of dramatic increase in construction costs. And so when you're underwriting these projects, if the sensitivity on those interest rates out a few years is, is you know, it either makes a deal or breaks it. So if you see that happen, um, you know, I think you're going to see a, a pretty dramatic slowdown in the, uh, in the development here. So let's say, and you don't have to dive into this in too much if you don't want to, but let's say those rates rise due just a little bit. Construction costs are high. What are the other economic dynamics that are going to cause that interest rate fluctuation to be so dramatic for the rest of the ecosystem? Well, in theory, if you have an interest rate rise, you'll see a slowdown in development, at which point you'll see construction costs start to come down. 
post-recession 2010, if you were building anything, you had a lot of people. The problem is, is a lot of people left the construction industry and haven't come back yet. And now things are, as you can see around Columbus, um, you know, there's a lot of construction activity. So you have, you know, it's really hard for these construction companies to get the employment. So anyway, if you see an interest rate risk or interest rate rise, then in theory, the construction activity will slow down and those costs will come down with that activity. So it just depends which one offsets the other more. One of our last questions of the show, it's, it's centered around theme here on Concord and Columbus, and you mentioned it once before, but that's live uncomfortably. Mm-hmm. And without telling you too much about why Josh and I chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it, and how does it apply to your life and career? You know, live uncomfortably to me is a path for improvement and growth, whether it be in your spiritual life, your professional life, or your life in general, in all aspects. So in your faith, if you, wherever you worship, if you just go on Sundays, you're not really living uncomfortably. But if it means something to you and you want to be good at, at that, then you're going to take the additional steps and you're going to go to, you know, whatever, find out whatever you need to to expand that, that thing. In work, it's the same way. If, if you just come in and you want to work nine to five and hit the, hit the clock, you know, and get your paycheck, you know, probably make a living, but you're, you're not going to be improving each day and you're not going to be, you know, getting to where you want to. It's as a person in general. So if I, if I, you know, if I have a chance to make a lot of money, but it might not be something that's ethical, to me, that's uncomfortable, but there's no choice in my, in, in my mind. I mean, you're going to do what's right, not what makes you more money. So those are the things that I think, you know, where you become uncomfortable, but you have to make the right decisions and, and make yourself uncomfortable so that you can grow every day and be the best you can be. Well, Jack, it's a great answer. Josh, you got any last questions for Jack before we let everybody go? He's shaking his head no at me. Appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us here on the show, Jack. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate okay. it. Conquerors, thanks a lot for tuning in. That's Jack Zagernis. He is the president and founder over at Fortress Real Estate Companies. If you guys want to learn more about Jack and his team, check out the links down in the show notes. And again, if you like that episode, share it with your friends. Leave us a rating on iTunes. We really appreciate all your support. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus. And their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to join like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes, participate in large-scale volunteer efforts, and improve educational opportunities for youth in our community. To get your small business involved or to learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. 
Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.